Let's please give a warm round of applause. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. This is a perfect sized crowd. I, 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 it's very intimate with, with love, and I appreciate all of you being here. And for those of you that I don't know, uh, the fact that you're here is love all on its own, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to thank Skylight Books, obviously, for having me. Uh, to be accepted into a very well-known independent bookstore that uh, I couldn't imagine being otherwise is uh, very important to me and I'm honored, so thank you very much. It's funny, I don't even have a book up here. <laughs> I'm still one of these that that's okay. I promise to kind of not bend it so much. So I just want to talk for a minute about the book and then uh, we'll do, do a little bit of a reading and let you know uh, how I feel about uh, the process and putting this, this, this together. Um, I want to thank University of Arizona Press who, who helped me uh, who guided me in this process, uh, who brought me to all, through all of the pit stops to finally with this, this product that um, I'm hoping that you're going to enjoy. Uh, to Luis Alberto Urea, I don't know if any of you know him as a writer. If you look for him in the fiction area or the non-fiction area, it'll be that bright glowing light that just comes out and washes over you. Um, those are his books. Uh, read them. Uh, he's an influence. He's a mentor. And uh, his work is about love. It's about love and prayers and, and, and capturing a world that I hope that I have captured uh, with this collection. Uh, you being here tonight is really about enrollment. It's not you sitting there, me standing up here. It's about you signing up for this, signing up for this community. Um, I've brought this thing and we're all going to experience it. We're all going to be part of it. Um, I've written it you're going to read it, you're going to feel it, you're going to bring your own unique perspective on what you feel about place, what you feel about people, uh, how you imagine those things colliding and stories beginning. I've been away from Los Angeles for quite a while. Um, I, after growing up in, if we pin it down, San Gabriel Valley, Monterey Park, Montebello, Pico Rivera, uh, I left, I moved to Colorado, I lived in Denver, I lived in Las Vegas, um, now I live in Anchorage, Alaska, where I work as a firefighter and a paramedic. But there's something that always took place wherever I went, it was this gravitational pull of home and trying to understand what home is. That notion of home is where you hang your hat is something that never really felt or rang true for me. Um, it's a place you put your hat to take it off and think about where you came from. Um, I think about this pillow concept, and I think about it in, in regards to film, in the pillows you see that like you go to Target and they say home sweet home, or they say um, home is where the heart is, or welcome home. This concept of finding home, we're always looking for home. And I think that applies to the literary world as well. Uh, those are the stories that ring the truest in our hearts because we're from somewhere. We're defined by those places. And even if those places have um, notions of hurt, pain, they're places that are in us. We can't deny them. And Dodger Blue for Your Soul is my way of getting back to those places. Dodger Blue, food, any 
anything that allows ingress back into a community. I think about my grandmother making tortillas in the morning. Um, and Luis Alberto will tell you that their prayers, their prayers and their stories every morning, their prayers and stories. And Dodger Blue, Dodgers, Transistor Radio, Vin Scully, which of course is a very hot topic right now because he is he's finishing his tenure. Um, the sounds, the 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 community that that pulls together has shaped me. I can't deny that. For better or worse, I am who I am from is because of where I came from, the influences I had, and uh, the people who loved me the best they could love me. So this is my love letter back to them. Um, I'd like to read to you uh, from my collection, and then afterwards we'll have a little Q&A if you have any questions about the work. So I was going to read a different story than the one I was going to read tonight, but my sister begged, my girlfriend begged, and the press told me I had to. <laughs> so this is the one I'm reading for you this evening. I'm going to get a timer going here, unless you want to just give me the nod on. Because I want to make sure there's time to talk to all of you. I really appreciate this so much. This collection is called, this story is called Homegirl Wedding. Today is Shy Girl's Wedding. It is a March wedding. This means I can show everyone in attendance the bright star Spica and Virgo, or introduce them to the small Magellanic cloud that is the constellation of Tucana. It will take some imagination on their part. I will point out Canopus, the second brightest star in the night sky. Anybody have a problem with cursing? No? We're all good? Okay. Close your ears. Earmuffs. If everything goes to shit at the reception, I will keep the ninth brightest star, Alcanar, tucked away in my back pocket. I track the night sky for a living, all its celestial movements, and write down where they will appear 10, 50, 100,000 years from now. It's simple math, really, so long as we keep spinning the way we do. My girl Carmen is the celestial body of all celestial bodies. She uses the word cholas to describe shy girls' bridesmaids, a roll call of middle-aged women that include a lalista, a thumper, and another named Crazy Sylvia. I make a face that suggests Carmen something foul-smelling. She says it makes her sad that I look down on that part of her life. I don't look down on it, I just don't know it, and I forget what it means to grow up in Boyle Heights. I grew up 11.2 miles away in Pasadena. It might as well have been one light year between us. She, sh she suggests I get a firm hold on the whole Cholas thing, that I should practice in the mirror saying it over and over again until it sounds as normal as cat. More importantly, Carmen reminds me that I could get my ass kicked at this wedding. <laughs> I used to be one, Chris, she says. A bridesmaid? You know I used to be down with my girls. Don't say it, please. Cholas. What does that even mean? It means I'm from somewhere. I see. The wedding is sounding much more complicated than the invitations ever let on. I've never been in a fight, I say. Carmen rolls her eyes and feigns a lunge with two clenched fists. I don't want to be hit in the face today, I say. And the older I get, the more difficult it is to think that it could happen at some point. Carmen agrees. 
Did you date a lot of guys who got into fights? I ask. All my boys fought. I wish she had phrased it differently. The way Carmen says all my boys makes it sound contractual. That somehow she still has their papers. She has fought and has a scar on her shoulder from a knife fight over a broken compact mirror to prove it. I date a girl who has been in a knife fight. And no matter how many times I say it, it sounds otherworldly to me. It's been a while since she's been back to her old neighborhood. And even though she hasn't spoken to most of her girlfriends in some time, <clears throat> Carmen says it'll be like going home. She pulls me in and play fights. I wrestle her to the ground and pin her. Her arms are spread out wide and I am sitting on her stomach. I can feel her legs kicking behind me and I am surprised how much strength it takes for me to hold her in place. It is as if she's letting me get the best of her. That if she decided to teach me a lesson, it wouldn't take much undoing. Well, you aren't one now, right? Chris, let me up. I have to start getting ready, she says. And you said you'd clean up the yard. She pushes me up with ease, as I suspected she could. I don't do that anymore. It's just getting warm enough outside that all the dog shit piles are starting to smell. I promise Carmen I will get him picked up before we leave. I put it off as long as I could. Neither one of us, neither one of us wanted to take, take, neither one of us could take it much longer. It is getting into everything, the way a sealed loaf of bread takes on the flavor of bananas rotting in a cupboard. But it wasn't until I started seeing the belt of Orion and the constellation of shit on the back lawn that I surrendered to the task. The dogs are gone. We'd adopted them, adopted them from the pound when we moved in, thinking they would help us push us toward the family we wanted and suggested to each other. You know how it goes, making comments about babies and shopping carts or holding a pair of baby shoes in the palm of your hand and daring your significant other to not say, ah. Carmen did everything with the dogs by her side. She napped with them at the foot of the bed when I worked and took them for long walks twice a day and fed them nothing but the best dog food, the food they keep in the refrigerated section of the grocery store. She bathed them and sang duets with them and after, and after a month later, they took off under the hole of the back fence. Excuse me, let me grab my water. Carmen acted like they had never lived one day with us as though their leaving was some kind of commentary on what they thought of her as a mother. I never said one, one word about them after that, and neither did she. Are you sure you want me to clean up the yard, I ask. It's all we have left of the children. <laughs> I'm over kids, she says. She's lying. The topic doesn't dominate our relationship, but it floats around the room like wispy fingers of smoke when the two of us are trying to think of something to talk about late at night. She comes from a big family, so I understand the calling to fill the house with new bodies. I suspect she is lonely, which is why I don't make a huge deal about going to the wedding today, especially since she needs a refilling of something that is either willingly poured out or she has spilled all over the place. The neighbors will complain if I just throw the, this crap in the back alley, so I tear apart the garage and find two used garbage bags and an empty flat screen box I wanted to keep in case we moved. I line the box with both garbage bags and fill them. The box seems sturdy enough, but when I pick it up, on each end it is heavier than I anticipated. I tie the bags off and lean the box on one side to tape the bottom. 
Here's what looks like a brand new television. Carmen peeks out through the bedroom curtains to see me laughing alone in the backyard at a shit-filled television box. She takes her head and points and points to her watch. From here I can see how beautiful she looks. She is framed in the window just off center, like a portrait I might hang there on the side of the house if I were a man who would do such a thing. The lawn, however, has seen better days. Now peppered with patches of yellow dead grass, and gives it a polka dot effect of a hundred rocket launches. We've never looked this good together at the exact same time. Her dress is bronze and low cut at the top and the bottom. I don't mind showing her off. I have even gotten a thrill when she bends over in public and shows her ass making a businessman choke back his latte or a teenager witness the blast of his future. I take Carmen's hand and lead her down the stairs to the patio where the television box sits. I present to you the wedding gift, I say. That's our TV, she says. Well, sort of our TV. Look, I point out over the lawn. The yard's clean. She looks at me and then to the box and then to the yard and then to the box, back to me. It goes on like this for a moment. Me, the box, the yard. We aren't taking that to no, I say. No, I just need your help getting it in the back of the truck. We'll find a dumpster on the way and I'll throw it out then. Her look wants to know how I can be so technically educated and a circus clown at the same time. <laughs> there is a scientific explanation for this phenomenon, but it escapes me. Look at me, Carmen. Look at me. Carmen holds out her hands. I take notice of her nails for the first time. They are fake and extended two inches off the tips of her fingers. Midnight blue with a rhinestone in each corner. She laughs out her nose. I can barely open a door. Fake nails seem a bit much, I say. Not for my homegirl's wedding, they're not. You're really getting into this, aren't you? And I realize how unsupportive I sound. Carmen gets up in my face. She slips one of her talons under my shirt button and pulls me in. I've never been this close to her with my eyes so wide open. Even during sex, when our faces are this close, I always close my eyes to picture her underneath me. You make it sound like I'm playing dress up with a bunch of my girlfriends, she says. That's not what I meant. It doesn't matter what you meant, she says. I serenade her from the lawn walking around the box. Shit is getting heavy. I hunch down and isolate my quads and squat up the box onto the tailgate. It slides easily into the front of the bed. Carmen gets into the truck and puts on her seatbelt. Her face fills the side mirror as she looks back at me, applying more makeup. Unfortunately, the straps are behind the seat in the cab. I open the driver's side door and explain to Carmen about the straps and that I really should secure this thing because if it goes, it'll just be about the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> she leans forward without missing a beat or saying a word. I ratchet it down until the rounded corners of the box bend inward and then call it good. I take a minute at the back bumper to straighten my tie and watch Carmen put on the finishing touches of mascara over her right eye. And then Hubble's law splits my head in two. It's the law of physics that states that the farther a galaxy is moving away from us, the faster that same galaxy is moving away. That one, says Carmen, pointing to the full dumpster behind Newberry's. No one will see you. I'm worried that I'll drop this box and drop this box off and someone will get my license plate, find out the box is full of shit, and then I'll get a ticket. The sign on the dumpster reads, 
private use only, violators will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. That seems a bit extreme. <laughs> no one gives a shit, Chris. I don't mention the obvious. <laughs> Let me drive farther down the alley, I say. And there's nothing but full dumpster after full dumpster after full dumpster. The Plaza, the Plaza del Mar behind St. Thomas Aquinas has high walls. We can go there. We're going to be late for the reception, she says. Can we please just go? You can take it tomorrow. I reach through the cab window and pull out the straps, shake the box a little. I adjust my seat and pat Carmen's leg. She jerks away, but then releases into the idea of starting the day over from right now. I turn down the rearview mirror as far as it will go to keep an eye on things in the back. All right then, she's coming with us. Carmen's parents divorced when she was a girl, and that is the reason why we're only going to the reception. She doesn't believe in marriage. A dog and pony show, she calls it. She even hates television shows that spend too much time on the big wedding episodes. We watch this shit to get away from reality, right? She had asked me when Ross and Rachel got married on Friends. Ross had been married three times on that show, and each time I did my best to defend his position to Carmen. I told her that Ross was a man who boils with love. Truth is, I felt some sort of kinship to his enduring and incredibly pathetic paleontologist character. Love was to Ross an unearthed fossil that he wanted to display in his heart. I knew how that felt, always arranging the smattering of light from burned out stars in the part of my brain that held things the longest. Carmen's father moved to New Mexico to work for his cousin repairing air conditioners. Carmen says his mistress moved there to be with her children, and he simply followed. A one-way ticket stamped out of Boyle Heights. Carmen moved to Monterey Park to live with her mother, who had moved in with the sister and taken work as a seamstress for a bridal shop. This is where I first met her. She was an undeclared student at East Los Angeles College. A colleague of mine, David Bell, taught astronomy twice a week and told me about this hot Latina in his class who he said he wished he could get down with but knew that the teacher-student relations code suggested otherwise. <laughs> but you, you couldn't stop you, he told me. The deal was I had to tell him everything. I, I want to smell that Latina on your fingers when you're done, he had said. It was discomforting, to be sure. <laughs> Currently, I am the director of astronomy and astrophysics education program at Griffith Park Observatory. It's a good title, but an inflated one, and one that is asterisked with a comfortable sense of mediocrity. You see, back when I was a graduate student, I harnessed more potential than any of my instructors had seen to date. In the end, I think I left them underwhelmed, doing just enough to get enough. No real big bangs as career trajectories go. I told David to offer extra credit points to any one of his intro to astronomy students who came to the observatory to hear me lecture on dark matter and black holes. And more specifically, a hot Latina who may or may not want to catch a bite to eat afterward late night at the hat. When I told David that all I did was look into her eyes as I explained all the unseen matter in the universe and how it, it, and 
how it is how it is only detectable by its gravitational effects on other bodies that all I did was pause long enough afterward to allow for something uncomfortable to happen to everyone in the room except for the two of us he slapped himself across the face wondering why he didn't just do the same <laughs> I'll stop there. I was going to read for like 25 minutes more, but I'm, I've left room for, for questions if anybody has any. Um, the, the, the question is about relationships gone awry, and sometimes that involves um, being left alone with yourself and, and having to understand where you fit in those relationships, even though they're gone, they're past. Um, they've defined you, they've worked into your soul somehow, and it's really about you figuring yourself out. So I really hope that you enjoy the collection. And if you don't, that's fine too. Reach out to me, tell me you don't, and we can talk about it. But uh, more so, thank you very much for being here. I appreciate it, and uh, it's love, and I love you back, and thank you very much. <laughs> Questions? Melissa, do you want to get on me about the title? Uh, yeah. Why did you include the dog in the title? Um, of course, we all realize the Dodgers have a very sordid history also. Um, and Dodger Blue is a connective tissue to my childhood. It is a connective tissue for a community to many parts of their lives good and sorted, right? So we talk about a lot of people who love the Dodgers. There's also people who don't go to Dodgers games, who hate the Dodgers, who see the history of the Dodgers as being something um, that is a blemish, right? Chavez Ravine, okay? It is something that happened. My voice is my particular, uh, my voice is my particular voice to these letters of me growing up in this place. I address this, I bring it up, I don't let it go. And that's all we can do to keep the conversation alive, to keep talking about these things. Um, and hopefully what will happen is someone will pick up this book, someone like in high school age, right? And they read it and like, I never, why are the ghosts of Chavez Ravine throwing baseball, home run baseballs back over the fence into the, into the stadium? You know, we dig things up. We, we, we leave these breadcrumbs for our youth to want to seek out history and understand where they came from. Um, and those are in here, especially the last story, Fortress of Solitude takes place in 1959. You have Superman and Chavez Ravine and everything else. So, um, any other questions? Yes, ma'am. What's, what, what's been the most challenging part of the entire process for you? Relinquishing it. Um, these stories, the oldest story in here is Dodger Blue, Fill Your Soul. And I think that's probably why it has become the title story and the foundation for the piece. Um, I started writing these years ago, and the last story I wrote in the collection, the most recent one, um, it's probably a year old at most, and I was just having a conversation about the hardest thing for me with this work was to let it go, to say it is complete enough 
for it to be out in the world, for people to experience it. And it took someone that I respected as an author in Louise to say, okay, you need to put it out in the world. We need to figure out how to get it out there. And then once that first domino fell, and then Catherine Conrad, the University Press, said, we love it, we want to do something with this. And then Kristen Buckles, love it. Rosemary Brandt, love it. You know, a lot of people really put their heart into this and got excited about the work, which is something that I never imagined because I wouldn't allow myself to imagine that. So when I finally relinquished it is when it finally flourished, and then I was finally able to get in and do the kind of revision work that I needed to do to make it come alive and work together and to become a collection that I'm that I'm proud of. Um, so did the collection build itself around that story? No, it didn't, it didn't build around that story. Uh, what I found in the other stories that I've been writing over the years is this kind of light brush strokes of Dodgers, light brush strokes of things that connected me to home. And inevitably, a lot of those things were baseball, were Dodgers. The stories aren't about Dodgers, they aren't about baseball, but there it's a vehicle, it's, so it's, a, it's ingress back into something that I had lost for so long that I was able to say, okay, I can come here, I can stand in this room full of people that live in Los Angeles now and have something in common with them. Okay, well, part of my family speaks Spanish, part doesn't, I don't. Um, we can connect on this, we can connect on food. This, is these, this was just one of those things that allowed me to feel like I could be present in the room and, and be allowed in the room. Um, that's really it. So, you had a follow-up question, I could tell it by your face. You. No. No? Oh, okay. The last sentence was Oh, okay. So I know with kids you're not allowed to have a favorite, but out of the short stories, is there a favorite? Uh, no, there really isn't. Um, the reason being is because I, I can pick it up and read a story and be like, oh, I hate this story. <laughs> I should have fixed that. You know, I meant to go back. I didn't fix it. Next day, oh my gosh, this is the best work I've ever written. Same story. You know, so it's an ebb and flow with your work. Um, and I think it should be that way. Um, I think I, I overcame the notion of I'm not going to let it out in the world. Um, and now that it's out there, um, I kind of just want it to be on its own, do its own thing. I don't want to have the opportunity to ever go back, which I, I can't, you know, but I'm, it's done, it's out there. People are going to receive it how they're going to receive it. And I'm going to move on to the next work. Now, with that next work, I can assure you that what I've learned and the tools that I've gained from processing this one will be applied to the next thing, you know. But no, that's it. That's all I can do with it. You know, no, it was a favorite story, and, and it's fiction, right? So none of it's true. So, so, anyone else? No. Anyone else? No. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Sure. Kind of blew me away. The idea of of having of having something, having a feeling of not being allowed. That seems that you're implying that that's a theme. Sure, oh yeah, and, and 
I could sit here and say, oh, these are the themes that are in my book. You're going to bring themes too, right? I think more often than times people bring themes to book. Like, oh, there's a theme in this book that seems to be consistent. And maybe something that I didn't even think about, you know. But the opening quote um, in here is something that struck me when I read The Hummingbird's Daughter. And I'll read the quote for you. I don't know if you've read it, Scott. On that long westward morning, all the Mexicans dreamed the same dream. They dreamed of being Mexican. There was no greater mystery. And when I read that, and I thought about where I'm from and who I am and what I am and if I am that, all these terms, right? There's, there's Latin, Latinx, Latin, Aspirant, Chicano, Mexican, Mexican-American. Man, it's a lot. It's a lot and it's overwhelming. And I think that to play to those specifically because you think you want to be one or the other um, can be dangerous and it could be dangerous because you're not being true to yourself. I think if you find your way naturally and organically, and I thought to myself, okay, when I grew up, did I have Spanish around me? Yeah, I got Spanish around me, check. I had tortillas every morning, okay, check. You know, um, red chili, and I didn't grow up saying, oh, yeah, we're having Mexican food tonight. No, you had food, okay? It happened to be Mexican food by other people's standards, but it was just food, right? Um, but when I got farther away from home and time passed, home became blurry to me. It's like, well, what is home exactly? Um, and, and where is it? You know, Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles, San Gabriel Valley, Monterey Park, where I spent so much time, Montebello, where I spent so much time. Um, it's a house in Monterey Park across the street from Albertsons, where my heart is, and it's buried underground there, and that's where I'm from. And all the Mexicanness that did or did not happen in that house is who I am, and I don't know what that title is. I don't know who can give me that title. All I know is that it's in my heart, and I've somehow tried to take those images and employ them in the same way you would employ character or dialogue and have them push story. And that's what I got for this, this collection. So it's my interpretation. It's my lens. It's my voice in the letters. And I think it's necessary that every young writer who's looking to do that to understand that their voice has value. And uh, I'm hoping that this will encourage others to write. Um, put theirs down. Can we talk a little bit about what you're working on now? Um, sure. Um, I had slated to have another collection of short stories and a novel that I wanted to start, uh, but I had to put that on the back burner because I am working on a nonfiction piece, a biography. Uh, I'm flying out to El Paso tomorrow morning, actually, to go interview uh, the gentleman. I don't know if any Lucha Libre fans in here, um, but... Uh, it's big in Mexico and it's big along the border and there is one in particular named Cassandro and he is an exotico he is the first openly he is an exotico which is an openly gay wrestler um, for so long in Lucha Libre the exotico was the circus clown and he was the first to become a three-time world champion he was the first to go to Japan and London to train other wrestlers. He wrestled in the Louvre as the art of Mexico. Um, he faced 
um, sexual molestation as a child, addiction, beatings, the list is on and on. Um, and I went to visit him after seeing a documentary on The New Yorker Presents, and five minutes in, I had a pen and paper just writing down, I need to contact this guy. And I did, and I actually went to get his movie rights, and uh, we established a relationship, and he asked me if I would do his biography. So that's what I'm working on now. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for it. So... We will see. Hopefully I'll be back here with that one, <laughs> dressed as a luchador, right? <laughs> Jumping off of the stairs instead of taking them down. So. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Skylight Books, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.